God, dig that. Now, ladies and gentlemen, repeat after me. Sabrina's Dirty Deeds. <laughs> yeah. G'day, Sab. Well, hello there, Jamie. Different you... setting today. Yes, yes. We've we've moved away from the uh, from the dogs. No dogs today. No, nah, it's so a shame. We might get sirens going up and down the highway, but there won't be any dogs. So we're in your office. This is where you, yeah. This is where you work when yep. you're not yep. in the dirt. When I'm not digging in the dirt, getting right. all filthy. Nice. Which I do like to do. Good little office. Nice mm. little view here. I'll probably doing be doing a lot more digging in the dirt over the next few months. I reckon. You reckon? Yeah, what well, else are you going to do? <laughs> well, I certainly <laughs> won't be going to England. No. Uh, nor to Japan. Did you have a few trips, did you? Yes, yes. But, you know, I'm really excited because now I get to stay at home. Yeah, Japan can just wait. Yeah, it'll yeah. still be there next year. Nice. Uh, important to see in your office that there's a fridge too. can only guess what's in there. Ah, uh, yeah. No and, don't, and don't look where on the bookshelf because that's half taken up with other items that are probably not essential reading. Yes, yeah, but they might deliver some inspiration nonetheless, I reckon. <laughs> There's a few bottles there. Ah, every bookshelf needs that. Yeah, yeah. A bit of diversity It's of funny, it looks like mine back home, to be honest. <laughs> I can't deny that. Uh, you got a few mates with you, though, in your office I, today. I do, I do. And um, I'm very excited because, Jamie, you know how excited I get about seeing mushrooms popping up in my garden. It's all you talk to me about. I know. Yeah. I just love it because I watch which ones come up over a period of time, particularly on rotting tree trunks. Is it a race? Just see who gets there first. Well, no, I think they all have a different role, but I'm not quite sure, which is why we have this marvellous guest in today. So we've got Lawton uh, McCurk, and she's done a PhD in uh, macrofungal taxonomy. Mm -hmm. Sounds taxing. So, um, so Lawton... Uh, welcome and thank you for coming along. Welcome. Thanks for having me, Sabrina. My pleasure. Um, so you um, you probably grub around in uh, in a bit of dirt and you see some things popping up that other people don't even think about. I do. I like to take what's called the mycological crouch. Yes. Um, my <laughs> what is the mycological crouch? <laughs> oh, yes. And I, I'm an older woman now. Um thankfully. And I realised that I've aged because when I was younger, I was given to leather jackets and no hair. And if you're skulking <laughs> around an urban area, the general reaction is, what are you up to? Mm. Um, and people are sort of looking around for someone in authority. But I realise things have changed because I've now got grey hair and the abiding reaction is, are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> While they scan the horizon for, so is there somebody we can get to help? Um, and I'm like, oh, look, I'm not demented, I'm a scientist. I'm not always sure there's much of a gap between those two diagnoses, but you know, it that's what I'm rolling helps, with. It probably doesn't it? So, yeah. so presumably for all that squatting, crouching and crawling, <laughs> uh, you have good knees. Uh, I've got a good knee, I've got the left knee and then we okay. have the bad one. Oh, right, Which okay. is the other one. So, yes. so your arms come in helpful then. Yes, yes. So, so tell us about the world of fungi. Well, one of the things that drew me to it, and I started life as a cook and I got a bit bored with that, and so I went to university to do an environmental science degree, planning to focus on bats. And I found very quickly that I'm fine with filleting animals, but it was a bit dull. <laughs> so I took a unit called Algology and Mycology, and I absolutely loved it because as soon as it's raining in Perth, we will be walking past dozens of different species every day 
and people don't notice them yeah. and we all think or uh, I'm assuming that you were as ignorant as I was when I started that mushrooms are like your little cap and stalk but they're not there are purple fungi green fungi red fungi there's ones shaped like corals there are ones shaped like penises I've seen those. Yeah, they smell very bad. Yeah, <laughs> no <laughs> comment. <laughs> I feel like I'm being set up here. Yeah. Yeah. There's others that look just like dog poo. Yes, um, that one used to be known as the horse turd fungus, but oh, okay. because we don't really have horses in the cities anymore, it mm. changed to being the dog poo fungus. <laughs> it's you get yourself in trouble looking for those ones pretty quickly, can't it's you? It's also yeah. called the dyer's ball. It sheds this yellow powder and it was used for dyeing fabrics. Oh. Yeah, right. And it, you'll find it um, pushing up paving yes. bricks and bitumen. Um, it's one of the ones that causes a lot of annoyance. People are always asking me, how do I kill it? And I'm like, well, I came to study fungi, not to kill them. <laughs> yeah. you know? So I actually don't know a lot about killing fungi because mm. I've spent most of my working life trying to keep them alive and trying to find them and study them. Um, so I'm just like, look, just learn to deal with it. You know, a bubbly car park could be quite fun. Why not? It just <laughs> makes things a little interesting. Some texture to yes, your life. Yes. You mentioned that most of us don't see it because mm. we don't know what to what to look out for. But once mm. your eyes are open to the world of fungi, is it something that you just can't stop seeing everywhere? No, you can't. Uh, when I was in my final year of my PhD, one of my friends was finishing her master's in psychology and she had to do intensive interviews of people. And she said, look, can I interview you? And I said, yes, as long as we can walk around the campus while I collect teaching specimens. Well, she now lives in the Eastern States and she'll ring me up every now and again. She'll say, Lawton, we were out somewhere and I'm still seeing mushrooms and fungi. Does it wear off? And I'm like, sorry. You got the bug now. You're stuck with it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, <laughs> so there she is, a psychologist with an overdeveloped sense of fungi. Yeah. So, so you've had, um, you know, a pretty different career. You said that you, you're a cook and mm. then you studied bats, which at this time might have taken your life in some interesting areas. Um, and now you've got this obsession and mm. expertise in the world of, of fungi. What, what attracted you to it? The fact that they're very simple, but they're enormously diverse and we interact with them every day. Um, most of us around the table will have eaten some fungi this morning or over the weekend, especially the weekend, because we're, most people will drink alcohol, so, uh, use wines, we'll take medicines, we eat toast, and of course, Australia's most iconic fungal pro- product, which of course is Vegemite. Um, so it, it's there, they're all around us, they're on us, they're in us, and sometimes they're a nuisance, and people just don't know about them. We talk about fungi and flora, but there are five kingdoms or more, depending on how you split things. And that's been true since I was tiny. And yet people are still being taught that there are plants and animals and Mm. that's it. So we always talk about the third F and that's the fungi. And once you show people, you know, look, there's tiny little things growing in the mulch and some of them will spit balls in your face and some of them are shaped like bird's nests. Oh, and that one that's growing over there Uh, on that tree is a long-acting parasite. It'll eventually overcome the tree. In the meantime, it glows green. That's pretty cool. (laughs) It is pretty cool. It's also a really slow-acting emetic. So an emetic is something that makes you vomit. Unfortunately, being a slow-acting emetic is just a really annoying habit. If it worked quickly, we could give it to you if you'd eaten something really toxic. 
But if you've eaten something really toxic and we give you an emetic that'll work five hours later, you're just you're, gone. you're either dead or you're mm. really annoyed mm. with us. <laughs> it's interesting. I just want to go back to that point that you made about um, the diversity of fungi that's that's around us and and the fungi that pops up in the soil. Mm. Can you explain a little bit about that relationship that uh, fungi has with soil mm. and therefore with plant material well we think and like with everything in science the the opinion is shifting but we usually have a solid ground and then someone will find something amazing and everyone goes oh my god that's wrong we have to start again so it's always moving forward but we think at the moment the fungi were the first colonizers of land and that they were actually very very big and then plants turned up and the two got together 95, 99% of plants, depending on where you are in the world, have fungal partners. And the usual ratio that's quoted is that for every plant species, there are 12 fungi. And fungi do things like they stabilise the soil, they uh, increase water uptake for plants, they provide nutrients. A lot of the things that plants use, so your NPK, Mm -hmm. they get that from their fungal partners unless we come along and disrupt that by giving them some fertiliser. Um, plants give the fungi sugars and so plants and fungi really are interdependent they're symbiotic they live in this enormously complicated partnership and it's more like a network so there's evidence now that the fungal network which is huge and much much more extensive than the root zone of the plant actually allows plants to communicate with each other And so they will put pheromones into that network and it'll warn other plants in the network that there's a predator in the area. And they start producing more of their own toxins and defensive features. It's astonishing, isn't it? That that whole network that we can't see Mm. under the ground. Actually, you may have uh, an opinion on this. I've just been reading the latest research that they've been doing on on prescribed burning and the effect that that's actually having on things like the fungi that lives in the soil. Do do you think that that um, – because I get get phone calls from people saying, oh, when we were kids, we used to go out on the farm and we'd pick mushrooms. You get buckets of mushrooms Mm. and we haven't seen – we haven't seen mushrooms for years and years. So obviously our agricultural practices, maybe a drying climate – do you think all that is is having uh, an impact? Definitely, on uh, with the caveat that we have very little uh, climate, in fact, no climate change uh, studies on the impact on fungi that really? I'm aware of at the moment. Wow. Yeah, that's a we gap, have no isn't it? state mycologist in WA anymore. Why? I don't know. I would guess politics and business and, and money, right? Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, well, I don't know. I'm a scientist. Um, business talk completely confuses me. Maybe, <laughs> maybe a better question is what's lost if you don't have someone in that role in the state. Uh, well, when it comes right down to it, we don't know much about any of our fungi. So, if you are out mushroom picking, if you're lucky enough to find one and you eat it, what was it? When you're heaving your guts out sitting on the toilet in, in an ED and somebody says, what do you think did this to you? And you say it was a mushroom. Um, who's going to ID that? Now, mm. I know his name, but he doesn't work in his paid role anymore. So he may just go, no, sorry, you know, phone a politician. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it, are there rules of thumb when 
you, if you're trying doubt, to determine chuck it out. right uh, oh rules of thumb for if something's if you poisonous want, well if you yeah if you if you see something and you think i might pop this in my gob but they're things you should look out for where well, if you, just just don't just don't <laughs> Be, well the thing is because foraging's such a thing now right you know people yeah, like to kind of dangerous. go out and try there was and find a their man food. um who ate half a kilo of mushrooms so we know he's not a person to deny himself things. That's a lot of um, In Netherlands, and I think it was 2018. I should know the date because it, it was reported in the news and everybody who knew me kindly sent me that to my Facebook stream. Thanks, guys. And <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, look, you know, it, it, it's always amazing. Anytime there's anything fungal, I will get about two dozen reports of it. And quite often the last person will say, oh, I bet you haven't seen this. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, okay, thank you. Love you. Um, but this guy ate this mushroom on his front he took it from his front lawn so at least it wasn't a park or something where somebody might have sprayed something because that's usually where people get into trouble it's not the fungus it's anything else that's hanging around with it but he ate it and a couple of hours later he was very unwell so he sensibly went to hospital and they said well you're very unwell you're very dehydrated we're going to put you in and he was in hospital for a couple of days he um then got hold of a fungal encyclopedia of, of about 150 pages so you can see it's enormous scope you know mm. 1.5 million species in 150 pages from uh the uk and i did oh, this mushroom helpful. again that's very helpful the three different species so i lined up the species he thought he was eating with the species he then decided he had eaten and what i knew was the species he'd eaten and the only Thing they had in common was they were mushroom shaped and they grow in lawns on every other aspect there were differences marked differences so he went from i doing something that would be five to ten centimeters big to something that might be five to 25 centimeters big and what he actually ate was over 20 to 40 centimeters oh, big goodness. different spore prints different yeah it, it was just like you don't know what you're doing yeah. so if you were going to go out into a forest and just randomly start eating red berries, mm. would you think that was a good idea? Mm. Oh, it depends how I'm feeling on the day. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, how risk okay, averse okay. am I at the moment? Yes, uh, so it's that sort of thing. People always ask me, can I eat that? And I'm like, you, you can eat any mushroom yes. once. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you may not eat another one after that. Yeah. Right, well, the so the rule is, of thumb, we, leave it alone. We can buy mushrooms yes. in, in supermarkets <laughs> yeah. and we've got a, a big array of mushrooms mm. that we can purchase now. And there's farming coming online all the time. If you yep. go to some of the specialty green grocers and that, they will have more exotic mushrooms. Experiment with those mm. before you go out into the bush and eat something you don't really know anything about. Well, I think the other thing is too, if, if you see mushrooms in the bush, you understand that they're playing a much more important mm. role than stuffing your guts with them mm. um, in that they're doing all sorts of things for the plants that mm. are around them and for the soil. And you do need to have permission to collect. Yes, um, yes. So you right. can't just... It's exactly the same as if you were trying to take a plant out of our our native you know, environment, if you were taking an animal, you can't do it. You must have permits and licences and that depends on what sort of land you're on. So ordinary land, if, it, if somebody owns it, you have to have permission from the owner. 
but you also have to have a permission from our biodiversity councils and things to collect for scientific purposes. If it's somewhere like Kings Park, you've got to have that license, but also permission from the controlling body, because this is our environment, and we, we can't have people just taking off and taking mm. everything. Especially when you were talking about the role that they play mm. with the, the plants in that area. Um, wh- what does it tell you about the garden at your place if you've got kind of fungi springing up it's a good sign it's it's a good sign there are a very few that are parasitic but the vast majority of fungi that you'll see are actually doing beneficial things they will be increasing the water uptake stabilizing the soil mobilizing nutrients into forms that the plants can use and they can often be blocking access to your plants whether that's your lawn or your herb garden or your fruit trees from parasitic or dangerous pathogenic fungi and so when you disrupt that balance ironically you quite often you get rid of the fungi and but your plants are okay from water because you're watering them and they're okay for nutrients because you're giving them fertilizer but they're not being protected from that pathogen and all of a sudden you'll find they're getting things that they shouldn't be getting because their usual sort of fuzzy coat is gone and it will return but plants are pretty savvy. If, if you're giving them everything they need except that pathogen thing, either they won't feed the fungus and it will slough off or it disrupts the, re- the fungal relationship because they're being poisoned or drowned and they'll just go and then things get out of whack. That's a really interesting point, particularly from um, a gardener's perspective or from a horticultural aspect, that uh, people have become so reliant on fertilisers mm to actually feed their plant. But in actual fact, plants did very well without Mm. fertilisers because of that relationship that went on underneath the Mm. soil. So that's a really good point to to make. So do you think that the whole fertilising regime um, has a detrimental effect on those relationships that fungi has with plant roots? It definitely does, and you have to consider it in the overall picture of what you're doing. I mean, if you're growing a lot of introduced species, then you probably have to supplement them in Perth soils because they're very sandy. But if you've sensibly planted our amazing plants, then you can probably leave them on their own and just let things continue. Don't disrupt the soil, don't compact the soil, and don't tidy. Nature is not very tidy. We like to have a bit of mess. You know, if you've got lots of mulch and stuff, make sure it's of diverse sizes, encourage fungi and mycologists, we're lovely, um, <laughs> into your garden. <laughs> are, are you seeing people being a bit more willing to have a messy garden? You know, oh, most something definitely. that's a bit real? Well, the whole thing about the, um, the um, diminishing species of insects has made people very aware that unless we have a bigger diversity of plants, and in particular flowering plants, and unless we stop using insecticides, we're going to be in a lot of trouble because the role all those Mm. insects play is vitally important, not just for pollination, but for dissemination of species and for, you know, to keep a to keep a broader range of species there. So I've seen a huge shift in the last 10 years um, with gardeners in particular. And I'm starting to see uh, gardeners now that are far more aware of how important soil health is. So mm. I think there'll be a huge demand for mycologists. I hope so. I, I, mean, I, I love the work I'm doing at the moment, but it's not my first 
love. Mm. It's not what I was you know, intensely trained for. And mycology, like a lot of things, even with the few people we've got, is moving very quickly with the rise of DNA. And I would love to get back into it. I'd love to catch up. But, um, you know, the, even the stuff I do through the science outreach and the citizen science stuff is just, it keeps my soul alive. Mm. Because fungal stuff is obsessive. Yeah. And you're like, wow, okay, I get to go tell people. <laughs> so are kids into it? Kids are being into fungi. Oh, kids love fungi. Um, not my kids so much. Um, oh, right. Well, they're probably sick of it. E- yep. Um, <laughs> my youngest claims to have spent her childhood in mulch. <laughs> <laughs> Could have been worse. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, several of them think that I was a mycologist because that would ruin their chances of any action. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, that's always how I make my career decisions. <laughs> <laughs> but other people's kids yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's one of those you know nothing's worse than having your parent being the weird one that everyone else <laughs> thinks is cool most of the time yeah, yeah you don't realize you got the cool parent until yeah, you get older i reckon that's so true and then you go geez mum was actually all right <laughs> <laughs> yes i know it's amazing how much i improve when they turn 30 yeah <laughs> do you do you think though i mean just the way that you've explained and described the importance and the relationships that that fungi has, surely there must be an enormous role in in the potential of what fungi can do for all sorts of things, for yes. pollution and for, you know, for drought-stricken areas where, yeah. we, where plants need to sort of access as much water and nutrient as possible yes, with I've no rainfall. I've got two friends, um, Dr. Sapphire Macmillan Fisher and um, Ros Hart, who are working on a project called Fungi for Land, and they're looking at soil remediation and improvement using native, and by that I mean local, because native, if it's you know from Sydney and you're in Perth, isn't native. Mm. So local fungi, and using that to stabilise and improve the soil structure for farming on an ongoing basis. I know that internationally they're working on replacing a styrofoam and other plastic packaging with fungal products. There's look at um, fungi that can break down oil and mm. all sorts of amazing things. And when I was a PhD student, one of my colleagues was working, looking for novel protein peptides for antimicrobial action, so as new antibiotics. Oh. And I took him around the campus and we... Um, he made me stop when we got to 10 fungi, so we're only out there for about half an hour. Um, brought them back and f- eight showed that they were working and four, so half of the eight were really active against microbes. But the products they were using weren't novel protein peptides, so he had to shelve them. And oh. I, I don't know if the research continued at right. some later date. I hope so, because, yeah, they're an enormous uh, source of biological compounds and, uh, well, fascination. <laughs> I might have just had a few too many beers, but I remember... <laughs> oh, I that's s- a fungus. I swear, <laughs> I, yeah, I remember seeing a six-pack holder that was um that that was based... It had, it, it had some fungi in it or it was created with yeah. it. Um, so then rather than using the plastic stuff that doesn't break down, that later when it gets chucked out, it's going to be okay. Yes, yeah. and they're even, in theory, they could replace all the lab plastics with fungi. Wow. Because it, you can autoclave fungal products. 
so it, you oh, could sterilise them on the way through. And it's grown, they, they form them using the mycelium, so you don't have any spores in there. Yeah. So you don't have to worry about um, allergies or um, irritation, all the stuff's you know, starting to sprout while you're trying to do something else. I did read somewhere where they were making um, fungi uh, body bags for wow. uh, when... Because when we're... When we're dark, buried, it got dark. Got no, dark. I think it's a brilliant idea, and I want to buy shares in the company when it happens. So, because of what we eat and and everything else, our bodies are taking much longer to break down once we're buried. Really? So, some <laughs> clever scientists have in, they've invented they've they made a, a prototype of a, a fungi bag that you slop your dead body into, uh, and then you get buried. But it breaks your body down much much faster. I would love that. I've always had this horror of um, being sealed up in a casket and mm. then never returning to mm. the cycle alive. Because mm. um, I, I think recycling is good and yeah. I want to be recycled. Yeah. But what a great idea. <laughs> I'll, I'll be with you. Yeah, I'll okay, be in the body well bag <laughs> next door. <laughs> I'm not with you on that one. <laughs> I'd like to be stuffed and put in a corner of my wife's house or something so oh, she can just get it. scared every time well, she walks into the living room. Jamie, she'd remind you, um, Hank might lift his leg on you. He would. <laughs> <laughs> he, does, he does that already. <laughs> He did weigh on me recently, actually. We're down at the park. He just weighed on my leg. And I thought, is this a dominance thing? Just to show he loves Yeah, this. Yeah, thanks, Hank. Um, <laughs> can you, the, the, the varieties that we know you can eat, mm. can, you, can you grow them at home? Yes, you yeah. can yeah, buy yeah, kits. Yeah. Um, there's a group of fungi called the Big Six, and those are the biggest selling mushrooms internationally. And um, most of those are available commercially to grow. I, I've grown them all. Um, I used to grow them when I was teaching. So we always had fresh ones to teach students how to section gills so you can see all the fruiting structures. Are they pretty easy to, to get going? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, dead yeah. easy. Yeah. Dead yeah. easy. Have you ever done it. home brewing? No. Oh, well. No, because I get it for free at work. So I, <laughs> I was going to say, anything I can if do you can home, do that, it's get so close. much easier. The incentive yeah. just isn't there, is oh, it? I know, I know. <laughs> With things going on, though, I might have to start home brewing, I reckon. I've had, um, I've, I've taken um, a, it must be what now, seven-year pictorial uh, history of a big stump of a tree <laughs> I had to ha- have cut down yep. on all the different fungi that has appeared over all oh, those I years. Oh, wow. It is sensational. And I'd be a bit like you. I'm on, on the ground sort of groping yeah. around and peeling a little bit of bark off. But it was really interesting. On Obviously, different fungi had different roles in yes. different parts of the, of the yeah. tree. So there's a succession. So you'll get different fungi coming in depending on what stage the lignin decay what other products are in there yeah um but i have a whole load of friends who are fungal enthusiasts up in the tropics and i know that if they hear this they are now going because um you don't have stumps that last more than one season Ah. (laughs) they're just gone um, no, it's still there. I used to go to a conference every two years for Funky Map. Oh, yeah, yeah. And a friend of mine would present the, the ongoing saga of a carry tree that yeah. had fallen. And this went on for years. And all the Queensland and Northern Territory mycologists would just glare. They'd be like, how can this still be there? Um, but, of course, they don't really have a fungal season in the way we do. They just have fungi. Uh, yeah, oh, they just, just always, have fungi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they have very orderly studies. Oh, like okay. um, Dr. Sapphire McMillan Fisher, who I mentioned earlier, she did her fungal studies in Queensland, I believe. And so she would get up in the morning and she'd go out field collecting 
and then she'd come home and have lunch and then she'd describe and draw and then she'd dry everything and do some microscope work in the, in the evening. Well, in WA, you go out and you collect everything you can find in the wet season and you stay up till two or three in the morning drawing and mm. describing and then you dry it. Then you go out the next day to a different spot and you do that until it's too hot to go out anymore and there aren't any fungi anywhere. Yes, yeah. And so then you come back and you start hydrating sections and looking right. at it. So we have a very seasonal, whereas yeah. they just have a smorgasbord. <laughs> but they don't have stumps. <laughs> and, they, and they don't have trees that have fallen over and yeah. last for decades. A long They're time. Totally foreign. Mm. Very different. Mm. Well, the stump's definitely there because there's a large pot on top of it. So I've, I've either been consuming said mushrooms that have come off the uh, tree or the, you know. Wow. But it's been really interesting. They're fascinating. Mm. Uh, And you'll find that fungi that grow um, primarily on dead things, what we call saprophytes, so whether they're growing on wood or whatever else is falling, those fungi are are very common everywhere because they, they need the same material and it's a very common material and not much else can break it down. So you can go like down south, overseas, interstate, and you'll see the same fungi or very closely related relatives. When the fungi form relationships with the plant and they have to interact at that microscopic level, that's when you start seeing the local fungi and that's where you get your diversity. Mm. And some plants are very tarty. They'll basically, and they're like, okay, here's my root, off we go. Come With any, Yeah, any fungus that trots in that, but other ones are a bit more modest and they'll only form relationships with maybe a genus or a family of fungi. And then you get ones that are pretty much married to their fungus. And as that relationship gets more specific, it's more vulnerable. So the, the ones that form relationships are the ones that quite often get damaged by changes to the environment and disruptions to that relationship with their plant, whereas the ones that will basically put out for anyone are like, yay, fine, <laughs> off we go. More so like us than we think. So. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so if people are sort of interested in, in fungi or they want to take the kids out, what, mm. what you know, do they... Can they use a magnifying glass or...? You can buy a field lens. I usually buy mine from geological supplies and you need a times 10 lens. I find that anything higher and the field, the focus is so close up that you miss the sort of how it works bit. Um, if, If you have the opportunity, get one on a detachable lanyard. I used to have ones that I put around my neck and then when somebody wanted to look at something on a field foray, I would hand it over and I got about half of them back Ah. (laughs) Um, but geologist supply shops you can um, send me an email I'm more than happy to indoctrinate I mean introduce (laughs) young people to the delights of fungi Um, the West Australian naturalists have a fungal studies group yeah Um, that's great and they've got a really good um, publication online so can you give that do you know the address? I don't know what the... Uh, if you put West Australian naturalists into Google, and um, depending, you know, as long as the f- page you find has people with clothes on, you've found us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe don't do it from the work computer, just in case. <laughs> just to be safe. Um, well, I'm looking forward to getting my crouch on. Ab- absolutely. So, yeah, 
Yeah, me too. I'm going to, yeah, work work those legs and start having a look at the stuff um, underneath. Uh, Lawton McGurk, it was great to speak to you. Thanks so much for, for <laughs> Thank coming in. Thank you for having Thank me. Thank you for coming. That's been fascinating. And Sab, thanks to our mates at Grass Trees Australia as yeah. well uh, for this episode. Get down to their nursery, have a look. And we actually had a chat with them a couple of weeks ago as well. So if yeah, you want to learn did. more about Grass and Trees, have a look They back. understand the importance of the microbiology and the fungi that lives in the soil and its relationship with keeping grass trees alive. So they've done a lot of research into that as well. So Check it out. Yep. We'll catch you next week. See yeah, ya. I'm Jamie. Bye.